All right, if we got uh, your Bibles with you, I invite you to open up to Psalm. We're going to start in Psalms 113. We're beginning, Psalm 113 begins what's called the Hallel Psalms. <clears throat> Psalms of Ascent, Psalms that were sung uh, during the Passover. Typically, as the uh, Jewish people were headed uh, to Jerusalem to celebrate, <clears throat> they would sing them. In fact, when you come with us to, to Israel, if you come with us this year... Um, when we drive into Jerusalem for the first time, as we pull in on a bus or van, uh, and as we pull in to get our first look at the city, uh, we'll sing an ascent psalm on our way in. Uh, then we'll go to the shepherd's gate, where traditionally, when the Jewish people would enter in, they would have um, bread, break bread together, and Wine, interesting combination of uh, implements as they entered into uh, Jerusalem for the first time. So, uh, so as we do, as we look at uh, th- this evening, as we take a look together, Psalm one thirteen again begins with that. Remember the Hebrew word I taught you guys last time? Everybody remember? Yeah. Hallelujah! Yeah. So you didn't know you could speak Hebrew, did you? So, hallelujah, hallel, these are the hallel psalms. Hallel means praise. Yah is uh, the uh, shortened version of the Yahweh, which is capital L-O-R-D in your Bibles. Y-H-V-H, Y-H-W-H, V-N-W are the same letter in Hebrew. So, it's uh, Yehovah or Yahweh is the proper name of God. So, hallelujah is praise the Lord. So, when you're going through the psalms and you see that phrase together... And in these Hallel Psalms, 113 to 118, you're going to see praise the Lord a lot. Every time you see that, that's the, the Hebrew word, hallelujah, as we take a look at it. So it begins, praise the Lord in Psalm 113. <clears throat> praise, O servants of the Lord. You'll notice both times we see the word Lord, capital L-O-R-D. That's God's proper name, uh, Yahweh or Yehovah, however you want to pronounce it. Nobody knows, so there's really no sense in arguing about it. What we know for sure is there's no J in the Hebrew alphabet, so it's got to start with a Y. (laughs) Whatever we do, got to start with a Y. So, the Lord's name, prominent in the beginning, right? Give Him praise. Uh, Praise Him, O the servants of the Lord, a call for His people to praise Him. Praise the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. Remember, we talked about it when we talk about in in Exodus chapter 3, when God really is revealing Himself uh, for the first time by His name. So we come into the Exodus and we see, we see God, uh, uh, you know, He's revealed Himself to Abraham, but when He does it to Moses, He said, By my name, Yahweh, they didn't know me before. And that's how He's being introduced to the people. Now what was that? What is the I Am? The I Am that I Am, Exodus chapter 3. What is it that He's... Enunciating to mankind through his name. He's saying, I am the becoming one. I am that I am. I am what you need. I, I am what's missing in your life. I am, in fact, it's interesting because when we come to the Gospel of John, remember the Gospel of John, John is built on seven I am statements, right? Where Jesus Christ is telling us, describing to us the I am. I am the Good Shepherd. I am. The way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. Right? You guys remember all the statements? Seven I am statements in the Gospel of John, which is helping us 
in a greater degree to understand Yahweh and who Yahweh is and, and what Yahweh is like. And so it says, praise His name. Praise the reality. Remember, anytime we come through the Old Testament, have that concept of praising the name or know His name, then it's His character. Do you know the character of God? You know what God's like? Do you know what God, what God, what God wants? What God's looking for? What God's desire is for us? That's the importance of understanding the attributes of God as He gives them to us in His Word. And that's all wrapped up in the concept of praise His name. Who He is. What He's like. Uh, uh, what He's all about. Praising uh, the name of Yahweh. Verse 2, he says, Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So how long you, you reckon that is? Okay, so that's a long time. Everybody's okay. That's, <clears throat> that's an eternal concept, right? Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Oh my soul, all that is within me, bless His holy name. To, to glorify, honor, and praise Him. And remember when we talk about it, C.S. Lewis had an interesting concept when we talked about praise. And I've shared it with you a number of times as we've worked our way through the book of Psalms. And that is, you are able to praise the one you love. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, in the Shema, the Lord says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, He is one God, and you shall do what? Love the Lord your God with how much? All your heart, soul, mind, strength, right? Your, your entire being, with all that you are, Love the Lord. And if that's true, what naturally flows forth from that love? Praise. We always praise that which we love. We love our wife. We get, we're high praise for our wife. We love an NFL football team. High praise for a football team. We love baseball. We love basketball. Uh, we in the Sweet 16 now, or is that over? Nobody loves basketball. Nobody does at all? They're just here on Sunday morning. There's... There's always somebody busting my chops over basketball Sunday. But anyways, what we love, we praise. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, we got high praise for it. In fact, it's easy for us to talk about it. It's easy for us to strike up a conversation about that which we love. So if we love the Lord our God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, then it's not a difficult process for us to share with somebody else that which we love. Because what we're all we're doing is talking about the things we love, right? That's... <clears throat> the biblical concept of praise. From the rising of the sun till it's going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. So praising the character of God, understanding and knowing the character of God. We just did a, a thing in apologetics. We just worked our way through the character of God. Uh, went through the attributes, both His communicable and incommunicable attributes that we talked about on Thursday nights. It ended up somewhere in the neighborhood of 134 pages of notes just talking about what the Bible, how the Bible describes God, and taking a look at those attributes and what do they mean. And so when we look at the, the Scripture saying, praise God for His character, there's a lot to understanding God, right? There's, there's the ones everybody knows. 1 John 4, 7, and 8 tells us that God is love, right? Okay, so, so we got down, we got love. But we also know in, in the, the Old Testament, the Lord says to worship no other God before Him, and He tells us why. Because I am a jealous God. Jealous is my name. So we have another attribute of God that is jealousy and comprehending what that means. You have the wrath of God and you have the goodness of God and you have the mercy of God and 
All of these things are descriptions that we work our way through, understanding who God is. And so the Bible tells us that when we know Him, and that's the great challenge, right? To know God. So that's how we get to know Him, right? We look, what, does it, what is it that God tells us about Himself? Well, how does He describe Himself? What does He want me to glean from this? What does He want me to understand? And then remember I said, when we look at the attributes of God, there are communicable and incommunicable attributes. Oh, that's a fancy word for saying there are attributes that should be reflected in our life. None of us are going to be omnipresent, right? Can anybody be everywhere at the same time? So that's not a communicable attribute. But love is communicable, right? If God is love and we follow and serve God, then we become like the God we serve. So love should be reflected in our life, right? Not the same way, God. We'll never measure up to His transcendency, to how much higher above us He is. But that should be reflected, right? Our children bear our resemblance, don't they? If we watch our children and we see, oh, look, that's my temper. Oh, look how happy they are. They take after Kathy because Kathy's always happy. So we can see those things that are, right? So the same way, when we serve God and we follow God, and that's going to be instrumental as we work our way through the psalm, that we recognize that, that the people who serve God, love God, and praise God start to look like God, start to act, take on those attributes, right? Take on those attributes that are seen in our life. So look at verse 4. <clears throat> the Lord, Yahweh, is high above all the nations. The word in the Hebrew is goyim, all the Gentiles. Basically a way of saying everybody. So the Lord is high above everybody. That, that is the concept of transcendency. Uh, Isaiah 55, right? The Lord's ways are not our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are His ways above my ways. His thoughts above my thoughts, right? The things that God does and, and how God's moving and what God's working, we, we should not believe that we're going to fully understand it all. So the idea is that transcendency of God, that God is above or over everything. But I want you to recognize in verse 4, he says, His glory is above the heavens. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory above the heavens. And I want you to, to, to recognize as we work our way through, He's at home in heaven, being transcendent, high above, really unknowable. The Scripture talks about us learning or understanding to know the unknowable God. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because what the Scripture says next, that God in His transcendency is high above us, did what? Condescended to us. That He is above us, and the way we can know God, the reason we have the revelation of God's Word, the reason that we know who God is and what God's like, is because He shows Himself to us. Abraham's just walking through the desert one day, and then God calls him. Abraham, the Bible doesn't say Abraham was out looking for God, and and so God said, oh, look, this guy's looking for me, he can't find me, I'm going to show myself to him. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says... God called Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to go to a place I'm going to show you. And so Abraham said, okay. And because Abraham believed God and followed God, God reveals more, more, more of himself to Abraham. Then same thing with Moses, right? Revealing himself to Moses and through the word of God. God condescended so that you and I, we, today we can look at his word and we can say, man, I can start to understand who God is and what God's like because he condescended to me look what it says who is like the lord our god who dwells on high high above transcends everything but look at the next one who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and the earth so god who is high above did what 
humbled himself, condescended, reveals himself to us. For the most part, a, a, a <clears throat> kind of a way to maybe help us understand, hopefully not to make it more confusing. If I was trying to relate to an ant, most ants could care less what's going on with me. Right? I'm transcendent. I'm beyond them. I'm the, I'm the, they just say we're running around doing our thing and then all of a sudden, pff, I'm, you know, we're, we're gone. Or a bunch of people are flat. We don't know what happened. What happened? But the ants can't relate. There's not a relationship that occurs between a man and an ant. So in order for there to be a relationship, I would have to be able to, which I can't, but I would have to be able to condescend, to go down, to speak with them on their level. Isn't that what God did with Abraham? Isn't that what God did with Moses? Isn't that what he did when, in revealing his law? Isn't that what he did in the building of the, of the uh, tabernacle and the expression of, of salvation uh, through propitiation, through a substitute sacrifice, which ultimately points to Christ, right? So, all of that is accomplished in the humbling of God, in God coming to us. God came to us. He makes the first step. He made the first step in our, in our reality and in our lives. God came down to us. He who dwells on high came down. Now, as you consider that idea, remember the question that it begins with um, in verse 5. Who is like the Lord, our God? Who is like Him? Where is there <coughs> another God like this? Well, there's not. There's nothing like Him. Nothing like Him anywhere. Where... Where God condescends, where God puts on flesh, where God lives and dies for His creation. In fact, Scripture tells us in Isaiah chapter 40, I'm just going to read this to you. It's a a similar section dealing with the concept of who is like God. In Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 12, it says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand, measured the heavens with His span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? He weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. (coughs) So who has directed the spirit of Yahweh? Or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel? And who instructed him? And taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket. and uh, And are counted as a small dust in the scales. Look! He lifts up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before Him are as nothing, and they are counted by Him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to Him? The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold the silversmith casts silver chains whoever is not too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot and he seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter have you not known have you not heard has it not been told you from the beginning have you not understood from the foundations of the earth is it he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain, and he spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock 
take root in the earth, when He will also blow on them, and they will wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their hosts by number? Who calls them all by name? By the greatness of His might and the strength of His power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people (coughs) renew their strength. Let them come near, then let them speak. (coughs) Let us come near together for judgment. Who raised up one from the east? Who in righteousness called him to his feet? Who gave the nations before him and made him ruler over kings? Who gave them as dust to his sword or as or driven as stubble to his bow? Who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his feet? Who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, Yahweh, am the first and the last. I am he. So the Lord declaring in Isaiah given a description of who He is. Helping us to understand His attributes and characteristics so that we can know who He is. The One who calls the end from the beginning, the Creator. And we'll see the Psalms move in that same direction. Look at verse 7 in Psalm 113. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap. Now it's interesting to me because when we look at it, Just a moment ago, we talked about the transcendency of God. High above, exalted over everything else. Yet, He's willing to condescend, humble Himself, to go all the way down to the poor, to lift the poor up. To go out of His way, to go to a well, in the middle of a hated area, because there's a woman that everybody in the area hated, that He wanted to talk to. That's God. He told his disciples, I got to go there. I, gotta, I got an appointment. Right? And he meets the woman at the well. Who comes to know him in faith. Shares that knowledge in Samaria. And a great harvest takes place in Samaria. As people come to Messiah. As people come to him. To come to believe. Remember she goes throughout the town and says, Come see a man who told me everything I ever was. I ever knew. He laid it all out. He knew her completely. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap. That he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. That phrase, verse 7 and 8, should be familiar if you've ever studied the Old Testament. It's from the Song of Hannah. Remember Hannah didn't have a child? This is part of the Song of Hannah. 
And what happened after the song of Hannah? She gave birth. She had a child. She promised to give to the Lord. After that child was weaned, look what it says in verse 9. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. And it ends, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. goes on in Psalm 114. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language. Begins in verse 1 with Israel, Judah's relationship with men. <clears throat> relationship with other mankind. <clears throat> they were in a place, strangers in a strange land. Isn't that how the Bible describes uh, the church? It's a church, strangers in a strange land. This is not where we live here, but this is not where we're, our citizenship is. What did Paul say? Our citizenship is where? In heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Right? So, so we, we make sure that we're anchored to our home and fulfill the purpose for which God has called us here. Well, Israel was the same way. Israel, when he left Egypt, strangers in a strange land. A place strange language. And then it describes their relationship to God. Look what it says in verse 2. <clears throat> Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. Now keep in mind from uh, the beginning as we, as we look at uh, book 5 of the Psalms. We enter into a time where we're post-exilic. Post-exilic means this is during the time of the exile. After the nation of Israel was divided into two, Judah to the south, Israel to the north, both go into captivity. Ultimately, uh, uh, Judah spending 70, 70 years in captivity <clears throat> in Babylon. And then they come back together. The psalmist writing this psalm is declaring, look, they're both, they both belong to God. Judah, Israel. Israel, Judah. God's goal was to, to see the nation united again. Not divided, but united he says, both Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. That's their relationship to him. Now the sea saw it and fled, and the Jordan turned back. Now those are two different times that the waters parted, right, for the children of Israel. The first one was where? Red Sea. Second one, the River Jordan. The first one gets them out of Egypt, out of the land of bondage, and the second one gets them into the promised land, right? So he's laying that out for us. The sea saw it and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. So the idea is that all creation is rejoicing. In the book of Romans, Paul tells us that all creation eagerly is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. For those who have been redeemed. The day is coming when God's going to redeem not only mankind, but creation. And all creation is groaning until that day, waiting for everything to be set back aright again. It's all wrong right now, but there will be a day when it will all be set aright, that it's going to be the way it was intended to be. And know that the prophets of old all described that period of time. They all described the kingdom. They talk about the lion eating straw, Right? And the wolf lying down with a lamb. Everybody talks about the lion laying down with the lamb, but that's not in the Bible. So in the Bible, it's the wolf. The wolf lies down with the lamb. Because the natural predator of the lamb is what? Wolf. Yeah, so the, <clears throat> the wolf will lie down. There's, there's peace. It's, it talks about a child playing by a cobra's den. Now, today our kids were out back, 
and they're playing and a, a rattlesnake is next to them, we're going to freak out a little bit, right? But there's coming a, do- a time when all creation is redeemed, when there will be no worry. Be no worry. Don't have to worry about it. Because creation will be how it was intended. <clears throat> Before the fall came. The description of all these things taking place. So it says in verse 5, So what ails you, O sea? <clears throat> Talking to the Red Sea. Why are, have you fled? Or the Jordan. What ails you that you turn back? O mountains that you would skip like lambs. O little hills <clears throat> like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at what? What is the whole earth trembling? Why did the Red Sea part? Why did the Jordan part? Right here. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the God of Jacob. Tremble, because how, why does it happen? Because God said. How does this whole book begin? In the beginning, God created bara from nothing, the heavens and the earth. God starts with nothing, and then he makes something. Nobody else does that. Nor can anybody else do it. The Bible says God. <clears throat> In the beginning, God. He spoke it. It took place. What's he talking about here in Psalm 114? The Red Sea parted. What? The voice of God. The presence of God. The, the Jordan parted to let him into the promised land. Why? Because of the voice of God. The creation <clears throat> is eagerly awaiting for the redemption of God. For the presence. For the presence and the voice of God. And who ultimately, look at verse 8, <clears throat> who turned the rock into a pool of water and the flint into a fountain of waters. Now listen, in verse 8, we see what God is still doing in the lives of men and women today. What's that? He's transforming what is least promising into what is a source of joy and refreshment. He's taking a rock and turning it into water. He's taking flint and turning it into a, a fountain of water. The idea that God transforms. You don't believe that God transforms, you'll incredibly enjoy a trip to Israel. Because you know, when the, when the nation of Israel uh, was gifted to the Jews after the, after the Holocaust, when it was gifted to them, you realize that it was just a pile of junk that nobody wanted right it was desert and marsh swamp land that you couldn't do nothing with or desert didn't have no water so the jewish people came in and they just began to work and what did they do they dried up the marshes and they turned the deserts into flour now they're the third producer of fruit in the world israel by the way is about the size of rhode island so that's a pretty big deal. Once upon a time, nobody wants to fight over it. Now people want to fight over it. Well, <clears throat> why is that? Because that's what God does. He transforms. He tra- doesn't He transform our lives? Doesn't He take us from just a lump of coal and turn us into a diamond? Doesn't He take us from wherever we were in the kingdom of darkness and transform us and translate us into the kingdom of His light or the kingdom of His Son? That's that transforming work that God's doing. And that's what's described for us in verse 8. That God does His transforming work. Changing uh, um, the, the things that look least promising to that which will bring joy and refreshment. And I think God still is in the business of doing that today.
You see how quick we just did two psalms? Some of you thought we weren't going to get through three. Huh. Let's be honest. And we were supposed to do four last week, and we did two. So <clears throat> we're going to make it this time. Well, let's check it out. Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us. So <clears throat> the idea of calling for the reality that our glory and praise doesn't belong to us. Right? I mean, we've been studying Daniel on Sundays. And uh, when we look at Daniel, what do, we, what do we realize? That who is the one who made Nebuchadnezzar king? Well, if you study Jeremiah and the prophets, what is it that God spoke through the prophets? He said, God said, Nebuchadnezzar's my servant. The next guy who takes, takes over uh, after Belshazzar, the, the, the grandson or great-grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, the, the next one who takes over, his name's Cyrus. In Isaiah, I want to say Isaiah 45, uh, God names him by name. 150 years before he's born, and he says, Cyrus is my servant. He's going to let my people go. Be the beginning of seeing the children of Israel uh, begin to go back into the promised land through Cyrus the Mede. So, the, the Medo-Persian Empire that takes over after <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel becomes uh, high in that place as well. But who called him? God did. Before he was born. Before he was born. He raises up kings. And that's what the scripture declares to us. So, so who, why should we praise a man? Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. To your name, for you are holy. Why? Why give glory to his name? He's going to name two attributes. Very next thing, because of your mercy, because of your truth. Because of your mercy, because of your truth. He lays out, <coughs> look, don't, don't glorify mankind, glorify God. Why? Because he's full of mercy and he's truth. That's why we want to praise him. And then he says, <coughs> why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? Now remember, I told you, these psalms are post-exilic. So it's after the children of Israel, their, their nation was destroyed. They went into captivity. A lot of people were talking, you know, where's your God? I thought your God was supposed to deliver you. But the prophets were all telling the children of Israel what? It's your God who's sending you here. It's your God who's dealing with this sin. It's your God who's, who's cleansing you from this desire to worship false gods. It's, it, it, was, it was God. It was Yahweh doing all that in the first place. Remember Jeremiah over and over again telling the people, hey, it's this, this is God's plan for you. So here's what God wants you to do. Go peacefully. Live your life. Marry. Have families. Plant. Harvest. And pray for the peace of Babylon. You remember? We talked about that in, in Jeremiah chapter 29. So here we see the same thing. Why should the, why should the Gentiles say, where is their God? Look, our God is right here. He's working and moving, and this is all a part of his plan. <clears throat> but look at verse 3. You see the word but. I always circle the word but in the Bible because it reminds me that something has changed. And now we are talking about contrast. Contrast. Unlike the Gentiles who say, where is our God? They're answering the question. But our God is in heaven. And He does whatever He pleases. Who's ultimately in charge? What's the psalmist declare? God's in charge. Who's calling the shots? God's calling the shots. God has 
a purpose at the beginning of creation, and he's got a purpose at the end, and I promise we're going to get right where God says. The journey along the way. God is moving and working. Where is your God? He's in heaven, and he's doing what he wants to do. We're here in exile, the, the psalmist is saying, because God said you're going to exile. Because we were a sinful people. And so, remember, you remember the deal, right? The sin, what was the sin? The Lord said that uh, they were to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and to keep the Sabbath year. And that they were to plant the fields for six years, and the seventh year they were to give the land rest. And God said, on the sixth year I'll give you double. And so the seventh year don't plant, let the land be fallow, so that the the land gets rest, just like you get rest, and I'll take care of you. Trust me. So they got to the sixth year, they got double. And they saw, hey, I can make a lot of money if I plant again. So they planted the seventh year. How long did they do that? For 490 years. 490 years. Interesting number, right? For 490 years. So when God sent them the exile, he said, look, you refuse to trust me for your seventh year. You refuse to trust me and you refuse to give the land its rest. So the land is going to get 70 years of rest. You owe. 70 years. 490 total years of disobedience. Now, remember Jesus, Peter asked him, Lord, how many times should I forgive my neighbor? Same thing. How many times? Remember what? As many as seven times? And the Lord said, how many? 70 times seven, which equals what? 490. Interesting, no? You think there's coincidences in the Bible? I always say, how long should you forgive? As, long, as soon as you are able to forgive the same person for the same sin for 490 years, you have a right to declare judgment. That's what God did. Right? 490 years? So since most of us aren't going to make it that long, what's that translate to you and I? <laughs> Forever, right? Forgive and keep forgiving. And that's, that's, that's our role. That's our thing. So God's there. God's doing His thing. Look what He says in verse 4. There, who is the there refer back to? Verse 4, that that word there refers back to the Gentiles in verse 2. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Ears they have, but they do not, or eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. And those who make them are like them. I just want you to think about it. What's being said? Those idols have no life. And those who make them have no life either. How is it that the Bible describes it to us in Ephesians chapter 2? It says that we were dead in trespasses and sin. But when we come to the Lord, who made us alive? But thanks be to God who made us alive, right? He made us alive. We were once dead. He made us alive. People who who worship false gods and false idols, what is their position in the world? They're dead. They're the walking dead. They don't know they're dead, but they're dead. They're not alive. 
They're not alive, just like they're gods. Just like the gods that they worship. That's the description he's given. So are those who make them, and what else? Everyone who trusts in them. They are without life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. What's the third one? And the life. And just in case we miss it, oh, maybe he didn't really mean that he's alive. You remember when he's standing in John chapter 11 outside Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus is dead. Martha comes to him and says, Lord, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You remember what Jesus said? He said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life, and life how? More abundantly. Yeah, without Him, we're dead. That's how the Bible describes us, right? Dead in our trespasses, He is alive. He gives us life. He's alive apart from Him. We can't know life. If we're trusting anything else, we don't have life. Life is in Christ. Life is in that relationship with God. So look at verse 9. This is the declare, this is like the, the, the refrain of the song. O Israel, trust in the Lord. So calling Israel to what? Faith, right? That, that's, oh, in fact, it's the same word in uh, trust and, and faith in the, <coughs> in the Greek. I know we're looking at Hebrew here, but the understanding is the same. It's, a, it's the same concept. Trust in the Lord, have faith. Faith is trust, trust is faith. O Israel, trust in the Lord. For why? He is their help and their shield. So first group, we talked about Israel. That's a whole nation altogether, right? Then it says, O house of Aaron. Now who was the house of Aaron? Priesthood, high priest. O house of Aaron, do what? Trust in the Lord. Why? He's their help and their shield. You see the, the refrain, right? Like the chorus of the song. O Israel, trust in the Lord. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. And then, just in case we didn't cover everybody, what's the third one? You who fear the Lord. Remember last week, we talked about that idea. The fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. Look, do me a favor. Don't believe all the people who want to tell you the fear of the Lord is not fear, by the way. I think we discussed that last time too. Same word. Trust me, when you're standing before God, there's not going to be a hard t- you're not going to have a hard time conjuring up the idea of fear. Right? The good news is, we don't stand before God alone. There's a great uh, a video, uh, I think it was a video, video, I, I don't know where I've seen, maybe it was on <clears throat> Facebook, looking at, uh, somebody had posted, maybe you guys saw it, and there, these, all these people are in line, uh, judgment, like judgment day, okay? Don't worry about the theology of the story, just listen to the story part, and don't develop theology from a story, alright? So they're sitting there, <clears throat> judgment day, and everybody's coming up, and they're like, well, what, tell us about all the good things you did. And they're trying to, and all the bad things you did, okay, and they lay all that stuff out. And then you had to stand on a scale. And when you stood on the scale, the scale always read unrighteous, unrighteous, unrighteous. So bam, bam, bam. And so you're going the, the way of the flame. And so person after person after person. Now, <clears throat> a guy comes up, and he steps up, and they go, they go, okay, give us all your good and your bad. And he lays it out. Tons. This guy's this guy's the easy case. Tons of bad. This guy's hopelessly gonna go to hell. And so the, the, the guy getting ready to judge him is getting ready to judge him. All right, step on a scale. And just then Jesus walks up. He walks up next to the guy and he puts his arm around him and says, Oh, this is this is one of mine. 
And the guy goes, oh, Lord, oh, okay, okay, he's one of yours. And, and she says, well, <clears throat> you've got to get on the scale. And so the guy goes to get on the scale, and Jesus says, no, you don't get on the scale. I do. Jesus gets on the scale, and what? His righteousness is passed, imputed, gifted. Why? Because of faith. He didn't earn it because he was so good and marvelous and wonderful, <clears throat> but he earned it because he had a relationship with the one who is. He had a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is the one who then becomes the scale. You guys get what I'm saying? <clears throat> he becomes the one who paves the way for us. So trust in the Lord. That's the one who, who ushers us in. So all, all you who fear in the Lord. We don't stand before God having the quake all by ourselves. We stand before God with His Son standing beside us saying, He's mine, Dad. That's, that's one of mine. That's one of mine. So at that same moment when you, when you know true, crazy fear, you're also going to know true, crazy joy. Because there's the Son with you. And, and just an illustration to help us understand how that works. Yeah, God is worthy of our reverence, He's worthy of our awe, and He's worthy of our outright fear. He's God. Big. Transcendent. Beyond and above. Bigger than us. So how is it that we are able to approach someone like that? The Bible says we can approach Him boldly. How is it that we do it? Through the blood of His Son. Right? That's the only way. Jesus said, I'm the way. Truth. Life. I'm the way. No man comes to the Father except how? Through Him. So we go. We have that door open to us because of the Father. So you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. For He is their help and their shield. And it goes on. Verse 12. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of... Same three groups. Look at it. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great. Is God a respecter of persons? You've got to have a certain amount of money in a bank account for Him to care? Nope. None of that matters. Small and great, God is available to those who love him, who trust him. Nobody who wants to trust in the Lord will ever be turned away. Isn't that a good thing to know? The Bible declares it like this, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We can get in arguments all day long about Who's elect? Who's not elect? All I know is whoever calls on the name of the Lord is saved. Period. Whoever. Whoever wants, whoever desires, whoever loves, whoever fears, there is. Period. They belong to Him. He has granted to them repentance. Look at verse 14. May the Lord... Give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who did what? Who made heaven and earth. One of the important places as you develop some of the concepts that we <clears throat> deal with when we talk about the triune God, that, uh, that God is one in being, eternally existent in three distinct persons. One of the concepts 
from which that doctrine springs is the concept of creation. Who created the heavens and the earth? Yahweh, one being. Hear, O Israel, the Lord Yahweh, your God, He is one. Echad. Not Yahid. Echad. Echad. Why did, why did God choose Echad? Because Echad speaks of a unity. Echad is the word you would use for one cluster of grapes. Plurality within unity. Yahid is the word you would use for one and only one. But he doesn't use that word. He uses Echad. Where, where else is Echad used? Genesis chapter 2. For that reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. Same exact word. Let's not confuse it. So the Bible just said right here, Yahweh created the heavens and the earth. The book of Colossians tells us Jesus Christ created everything that was created. Everything that has ever been made, He made. All things were made by Him, through Him, and for Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. What's that mean about Jesus? If the Bible says, Yahweh created, and the Bible says, Jesus created, what's it mean? It means Jesus is Yahweh. The one being is Yahweh. Eternally existent in, in three persons. Who? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One of the ways that's seen is because the Father is told that He created. The Spirit is spoken of as creating. The Son is spoken of as creating. All three persons, distinct from one another, a part of creation at the same time. All three persons, distinct from one another at the baptism of Christ, right? Jesus was baptized, and He came up out of the water, and what happened? The heavens opened up, and the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Spirit descended like a dove upon Him, and there's the Son. All three distinct in one place. One being Yahweh, three distinct persons. The Bible teaches it, and you say, You know, that's a confusing doctrine, and I wish it was simpler. Well, if it was, then maybe God wouldn't be transcendent. You remember that's where we started? Where's God? Just a little bit above? No, so far above our understanding, we can't even begin to, to fathom Him. He's got to come to us so we can. Are you with me? So Yahweh created, the Father created, the Son created, the Spirit created. All three spoken of in the Word of God. To, to understand that in the best way, we know, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is how many? One. One being. He used the word Echad, which can speak of a plurality and unity, right? One being. One God. Three distinct persons, eternally existent. That's the, the, the teaching of the Word of God and has been foundational in the church since the first century. That's all, that's all been there. He goes on and says in verse 16, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth He has given to the children of men. For what purpose? Verse 17, He says, The dead do not praise the Lord nor any who go down into silence. But, okay, so but, we have another word of contrast. The heavens belong to the Lord, the heavens and the heavens of the heavens, but He's given the earth to the children of men for what purpose? But we will bless the Lord. We will bless the Lord. Remember, what's the psalm? It's a Hallel psalm. What's it a psalm about? Praising God. Praising God for what He's given. Praising God for what He's done. Ultimately, praising God that He's given us the earth. 
He told Adam and Eve, cheers. What did Adam and Eve do with it? <coughs> we get the revelation in like, what, what are we on? Psalm uh, 115. We only got to go to 150. That's like uh, 35 more Psalms. That's like a week, two weeks, a couple months. So we'll get, we finish the Psalms, because remember we're doing Daniel on Sunday, and then we're going to kick off Revelation on, on Wednesday, study through the book of Revelation. Now listen, we're going to develop the concept, we get to Revelation, I won't spend a lot of time on this because it's time to go, but, but we'll get to the concept in Revelation that God gave the earth to men. Didn't we just read that? God gave the earth, the title deed to the planet earth was given to man. God gave it when? Before the fall, to Adam. It's all yours, Adam. Name it. It's yours. And then what happened? Adam lost it. Through what? Sin. So what they would do in those days is they would take a scroll and they would roll up a scroll. And on one side they would write out all the the property that belonged to this title deed. And on the other side, they would write out all the things that were against it. Like uh, what you owed. Right? Like on your house, how much you owe. That would be written on the back. And then they'd roll it up. It's cut at an angle. And so as you roll it up and you get to the end of the scroll, the end of the scroll, it, it rolls like a, an angle on the, on the scroll. And so you would close the scroll with seven seals. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And every seal you opened, a little bit of the scroll came out. And then you open another seal and a little more. So when we come to Revelation, we're going to be introduced to a scroll with seven seals on it, right? That's, that begins in chapter 6 of Revelation. And as they begin to open it, as you open it, certain things start to happen, right? Like a part of the scroll is revealed. And then the next seal, part of the scroll is revealed. <clears throat> the title deed to the planet Earth. Who's being redeemed by who? Who's opening the scroll? Jesus, right? Because he's king of kings and lord of lords. He owns it. And one day, he's going to come back and get it. And what a glorious day, right? But to, from now till then, we got a job to do? Yeah, we, we got a lot of people to share the Lord with, right? We got a responsibility to, to our culture and our time to be busy doing whatever God needs us to do until we see him. Till he calls us home or till we see him face to face. Death, rapture, Whatever, we got a job to do to that time. Yeah? And we ought to be about it. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.